The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. So it is great to see everyone this afternoon for Christmas Eve 2020. So I'm going to find out if people are going to be honest in the room. By a show of hands, how many of you were in your yard on Monday night looking for the Bethlehem star? Let me see. Okay, there you go. There's a good amount of you out there. That, that entire event pretty much snuck up on me. And that is, I was at work, I was in meetings, I was trying to be a responsible human being, and all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up with text messages and pictures from people around the country as they're out trying to locate the Bethlehem star. And I'm guessing that they thought that since I'm a pastor that I had like an inside scoop on where that joker was going to be located. Um, They were mistaken on that. Uh, I wasn't always paying the most attention in seminary, but I'm pretty sure we did not have any biblical astronomy class. So I had no idea what they were talking about. If you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, let me try to fill in a couple of details. For the first time since the Middle Ages, all the way back like July of 1623, We had Jupiter and Saturn that came so close in the night sky that it appeared to be one really, really bright star. Now, this particular phenomenon referred to as the Great Conjunction has been visible for a number of weeks, but it was the brightest on this last Monday night. Now, some people have theorized that that particular event was the origin of what's referred to as the Bethlehem star or the Christmas star that guided the Magi to the birthplace of Christ. And that was supported a little bit by astronomers who said that that same event would have occurred back in 7 BC. So I've had a number of people ask me, Paul, do you think that's what it was? No. I don't. And uh, the reason is because the star that is mentioned there in Matthew chapter 2, it moved ahead of the Magi. And then it stood still over the birthplace of Christ. Those do not seem like normal star activities. Also, based on Luke chapter 2, it would absolutely seem as though that it was more closely connected to the glory of God than any type of astrological event. So personally, I don't think it was. But as Mark Twain used to say, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. And a lot of people have enjoyed it as a great story. Now, here's why I'm bringing all of that up. Many of us have been able to see something, even on Monday night, where we were able to focus on one particular part of the Christmas story. That time it was the Bethlehem star. And there's something really unique about kind of stepping back from this story that many of us have heard many times, dozens, if not hundreds of times, and just focus on one particular part of it. Well, tonight, or this afternoon, I want us to focus on another very specific part of the story itself. I want us to see a piece that might not be nearly as relevant had we not just lived the year that we've just lived. In fact, I think that 2020 makes this particular part of the Christmas story maybe a little bit more vibrant, maybe a little bit more visible than we've ever seen it before. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and here's what the text says. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. No room for them. No room has kind of been the unofficial motto of 2020. COVID restrictions 
impacting businesses and schools and churches and holidays and families and graduations and funerals and pretty much every other aspect of life has meant that social gatherings have been restricted more than ever before. You could only get together with maybe 10 people or 25 people or 25% capacity or something to that effect. Many of us stood outside of different restaurants or businesses because there was not enough room inside for us to go in. Many of us have been registering for worship services on Sunday because space is limited. It seemed like everywhere you look, there were people who were counting or people who were waiting or people outside because space was limited. No room. Also, with political division, as well as social unrest, people seem to huddle together in social silos in 2020. It seemed like that people were only getting together if you believed what that group believed or if you saw the world from the perspective of that particular group. Civil discourse and meaningful comment and conversation were pushed out because there was no room for differences, no room for different views. No room for different opinions that might not align with the narrative. There was no room. Even in something like social media that was created to bring people together and to encourage community, in many ways in 2020, social media became weaponized. Let that sink in for just a moment. That is, people were attacked for what they said or sometimes attacked for what they didn't say. And with shadow bans and Facebook jail and fact checkers and censorship, there were billions of people on different social media platforms who they received a very, very clear message in this last year. There's no room for you, and there's no room for your particular views in this community. No room. To say it mildly, the doormat for 2020 didn't exactly say welcome. In fact, no room for questions and no room for differences and no room for gatherings and no room for sharing and no room for belonging. It should not surprise any of us that anxiety and depression skyrocketed in 2020. It shouldn't surprise any of us that suicide hit astronomical numbers in 2020. Why would I say that? Because God created us as relational beings. When you go through difficult things and major changes, our natural God-given instinct is to gather together, not go further apart. Whenever you're in times of unrest, people want to be with those they love and they want to be surrounded. They, They want a place of comfort. They want to know there's room for them. I want you to take that idea, bring it back in time. Over 2,000 years ago, When Jesus entered this world, the welcome mat wasn't exactly laid out for him either. Even though he was God in human flesh, even though he's creator and sustainer of all things, what we just read that passage told us that he was laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. No room. And much like the world that we're living in today, he entered a world of evil, a world of division, a world with problems, a world with pain. Now, here's just a little backstory on this, and that is much of what we find in Luke chapter 2, it takes place in Bethlehem under the reign of Caesar Augustus. Everyone was to report back to their hometown to do this particular census, and Joseph was from the small town of Bethlehem. So he goes back to Bethlehem with his fiancée, Mary, and while he arrives, she goes into labor with their first child. They tried to check into the inn, and there was no room for them in the inn. Now, This might just be me. Whenever I've read that word in, 
over the years, my mind goes to like a hotel. Is the same for you? Okay, like if you're on a budget, you like Holiday Inn Express. It's nice, not too bad. If you're going to splurge a little bit, maybe a JW Marriott. If, if you're not really connected to your belongings, try your Motel 6. I mean, there's, there's different inns, hotels that are out there. But that's not the view that's actually here. In fact, at the time, Bethlehem was an extremely small little town, maybe several hundred residents. They wouldn't have had need for any major type of inn. And in fact, the word inn that you find in verse number 7, did you know it's the exact same word for upper room over with the Last Supper? So a better visual of what this would be is probably just a very simple room, very likely connected to somebody's house, And at the same time, it was just a place to show hospitality to travelers. Regardless of what it looked like, it was full. There was no room. And because of that, you find that the one place they did find room was in the stable, a place that was made for animals. It's in that place that the Savior of the world was born. Not exactly a sanitary place, not exactly a welcoming place, but it was a perfect place for the birth of Messiah, as well as the mission that he came to accomplish. I want you to listen to a concept that's found over in Isaiah chapter 9. This is a text that you've already heard read to you by the children this afternoon. But I want you to listen to this and listen to it from the perspective of the world that we live in right now. That is, this written 750 years before Christ is born. Here's what it says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. It goes on in verse number 6 to say, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. These will be his royal titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The baby that's mentioned there in Isaiah chapter 9 is God. It's the Creator. It's the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. Literally, He is God-made flesh. That is incarnation. And He came with a mission, and that is salvation. He came to be a light to those who were walking in darkness. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. And for people that are hurting, and those that are desperate, and those who find themselves searching for purpose and fulfillment and forgiveness, His arrival is everything. Think about those titles for just a moment. When you're emotionally distraught, you need a wonderful counselor. When you're walking in darkness, you need somebody to shine the light. When you feel like society is crumbling around you, you need someone strong enough to allow governments to rest on their shoulders. When your peace of mind has been stripped away, you need the Prince of Peace. When you have regrets of your past, when your your sin is weighing heavy on you, when you're struggling to find hope for your future, when you feel alone, or for that matter, when you recognize you can't do it alone, it's in those moments you need a mighty God as a refuge. You need an eternal Father who will care for you and love you deeply. Jesus' birth led to the fulfillment of all of those things. In Jesus, there's hope, there's life, there's joy, there's forgiveness, there's fulfillment, there's belonging, there's purpose. And listen, there's room. Listen listen to what Jesus said. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
all. There's, there's room with Him. Here's what Peter said. Cast all of your cares and anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He's big enough to handle every problem we have. John goes on to say, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you know there's nothing you've done that's so bad that He can't forgive you? He can handle it. There's room. There's room at the cross. There's room for you in the family of God. There is room before the throne of grace. There's room under the sheltering arms of God. Jesus is all the Savior you will ever need. Because in Him, He is your counselor. He is your peace. He is your Father. He is your light. He is your God. And listen to this. Here's the great news for every person who's listening today. There's room for you. There's a lot of people who have been on different spiritual journeys. There's a lot of people who have grown up in church. Or they've grown up hearing basic pieces of the gospel story. But they've kept Jesus at a distance. He shared some good teachings. If somebody were to press them, they would probably say, yes, I'm a Christian because they don't identify with another religious group. But if you were to ask them, do you know that he's changed your life? Do you know he's forgiven you of your sin? Do you know for sure you're in the family of God? They would probably say, I hope so. Not, yes, I know. So here's the question. The question is, is there room in your heart for him? Many people want what Jesus offers. They just don't want what it takes for him to make room in their life. You see, when Jesus comes into a person's life, here's what you'll find. He doesn't come in to just rearrange a couple of things, to give some spiritual teachings, and one day give you the promise of heaven when you die. When Jesus comes into a person's life, he comes to take over. He comes to transform. He comes to free. He he comes in order to help somebody experience what they were created for from the very beginning. He comes to reconcile us to a holy God. It's all a part of the gospel story. It's a part of why Christ came. So I want to finish by just simply saying this. If you have never heard just the simple, simple truth of the gospel, if you've never heard exactly why we celebrate Christmas, why it's such an incredible event. Let me give it to you in six very simple statements. Here they are. You and I were created for a relationship with God. Our sin separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that we could do on our own to make the relationship right. There was nothing we could do in morality and and trying to do good and go into church or anything else to make things right. But here's what we find. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead that we might experience life. And he offers eternal life or a reconciled relationship to those who turn from their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. That's the simple gospel story. That's a part of the big story of God. So if you were to look at something like that, the first three statements are all about why we were created, what went wrong, and how we couldn't make it right. The next three statements, it's all about Jesus, what he did for us, how he rose from the dead, and what he's offering to us. And right in the center between statement three and statement four is the Christmas story. It's the fact he came. Incarnation. And he came with a mission. 
salvation. He came with such a simple story, and that is to tell a broken and hurting and sinful world that there is hope and there is forgiveness and there's eternal life. And here it is. And there is room in the Father's house for you. The question is, is there room in your heart for him? I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow with me for just a moment. I know that people are different places. I know that there's many, many people in the room right now who they know without a doubt that they have placed faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But when we're celebrating something like Christmas, I want to make sure that everybody who's here has the opportunity to celebrate in a way in which is meaningful and deep and connects them with why they were created. So if you're not absolutely sure that you have this abiding relationship, deep relationship with Christ. If you're not sure, if you were to close your eyes in death, if you would open your eyes in heaven, if you're not sure if you've been connected to your creator to live out your created purpose, but you want to know, I'm going to ask you if you would to just think through these clear pieces one more time. You were created for relationship. Sin separated the relationship. You couldn't do anything to restore it yourself. But Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the dead that you might have eternal life. And he offers this incredible gift of eternal life, a reconciled relationship, the ability to live out the fullest created potential of your entire life. He offers that to those who simply say, God, You're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry for what I've done. I turn from my sin. I place faith in what Jesus has done for me. If that describes something that you would desire today, then I want to lead in a very simple prayer. This is a prayer that's between you and God, but you would simply pray it like this. Here's what it would be. God, I know that I've sinned. I know my sin separated me from you. As best I know how, I come to you in faith. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. I believe that he will give eternal life if I ask him. As best I know how, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and give me eternal life. The head's bowed and eyes still closed for just a moment. I'm not going to ask people to come forward. But oh, I would love to be able to rejoice with you in this moment. If you prayed with me at that time, wherever you are for just a moment, would you lift your hand wherever you might be? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All around, thank you. You may put them down. After the service is over, I'm going to be standing out front. And we have a small little book that we'd love to be able to give you to help you understand what this new relationship with God is all about. Also, as you leave today, there's going to be a devotional guide that our church wants to give you, a devotional book for 2021. There's going to be people standing outside. They'll hand those to you. We want to help encourage your walk with the King of Kings. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you continue to do. And Lord, we ask today that you would be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.